It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. This is part two of our extra-long podcast. We've just spoken about Norwich, and we're rolling straight into the transfer window. So if we seem a little weary, it's because we're, this isn't a fresh podcast to us. Um, but there's a lot to talk about. January's nearly upon us. Nathan, I'll start off with this one from Brendan Deary. He says, which area do you think we need to improve first? I think you will be hard-pressed to find anyone who says anything other than defensive midfield at this point. Yeah, so that's a bigger priority to you than right back. Yeah, like Sergio is a lunatic, but he is <laughs> um, like playing football at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I think I would agree. There was a time not that long ago where to me right back was like the most obvious and clear need for an upgrade. And that was when Winks and Sissoko were playing in midfield. I think my problem is I just assumed that when Winks and Sissoko weren't playing midfield anymore together... Uh, everything would be fine. Um, well, I, I think mainly the belief was that Winks could be our deepest player, mm, and mm. and bless him, he's good on the ball, uh, but he he his defensive ability just isn't there. And um, maybe he can play as a number eight, but that means we still need a defensive midfielder, um, and it'll be hard for Winks to get game time over the likes of Ndombele and Lacelso and maybe Eriksson, whoever else. And therefore. Uh, for you, a defensive midfielder to play alongside Ndombele is his number one priority. Yeah, I mean, Dai has been getting better, getting fitter, but we know that his ceiling is only so good mm. and we are struggling in the meantime. That seems very reasonable to me. Um, sorry to put you on the spot, but do you have any like preferred options in midfield who you'd like to see us sign? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Fiorentino Lloris, who is at Benfica, is putting up uh, something like... Four tackles and four and a half interceptions uh, in the Portuguese league at the moment. Um, he keeps his passing neat and tidy. I don't know. I want to have a better look at how he handles playing under pressure. Um, I'm not sure uh, what sort of opposition Benfica come up in that regard. Um, and there are some. There are always some league and midfielders who are interesting in that regard. Yeah, I think defensive like uh, I've put a lot of time into like 
scouting what Moussa Dembele does and what kind of player that requires and, and what type of player Ericsson is and, and, and what we want in that regard. And this is really complicated. And I think a defensive midfielder, if you go on to your stats website of choice and search for players via tackle and interception numbers, you can form a really good list of who the best young available defensive midfielders are. Is one of them Sander Burge? I really, really like Burge. Burge is my boy, but he uh, he's incredibly agile for a man of his size, um, but he's enormous and he's not that agile as a result. Right. It's like he, yeah, he, he I guess it's like um, Ibrahimovic is incredibly agile for like what an enormous bloke he is, but he's not like darting about and I just think like what we've seen with Winks especially is like he has the will and the desire and the brain but he just doesn't have the the ability to to cover the ground Hmm. and yeah Burge again I really really like him but I think for our needs what we want to do we just we just need a player with a with a bit more zip um, it's just a shame because, I, like I said, I really, really like everything he does as a player. I know little about Burge other than the fact that uh, he's, a, he's a Norwegian defensive midfielder who plays in Belgium uh, for Genk. He's 21. And I, I've watched some highlights videos where he looks great. But like you say, he's a shade under six foot four. He's a very, he's, he's basically Marouane Fellaini in midfield. Like when Fellaini used to play defensive midfield, I imagine that's quite similar to how he looked. Um, and actually, did Fellaini play for Genk as well? No, no, I don't think he did. Um, <laughs> sorry, a uh, bit of a weird tangent there. But yeah, he looks really good. But I completely appreciate where you're coming from, that we might need someone who can cover the ground better. Our own Ndidi, if you like. Um, it's it's tough. There's going to be a lot of competition for defensive midfielders, I think, and we don't necessarily do that well signing players in January. Uh, would you? Oh, s- we don't sign players in January. We don't sign players in January. That's yeah, that is an issue. Um, would you then say right back is second priority for you? Probably, yeah. And w- is that a priority for January? Uh, like <laughs> given our track, re- uh, given our track records in January, I would be very happy if we signed just a defensive midfielder who was very good and no one else. I like, I would take that right now. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, following on from the discussion we've just had, Anthony Kennedy said, given our recent history, we aren't going to sign four players in January. We agree, Anthony. Say we just sign one player. Who is it and why? So who's the one? Yeah. Florentino Luis, um, Luis is, uh, you know, uh, there's, um, Ibrahim Sangare and, um, Sumare as well. Similar name. Um, but I think, I, I think, I think Florentino Luis is, um, is, is the man, the boy, really. And you'd like to think that Mourinho would know of him, at least? Uh, yeah, yeah, Benfica connection, absolutely, yeah. Mm. Hopefully he switched on. But also, hopefully Mourinho isn't that heavily involved in the initial player scouting process. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I would like to know, like, what how he's got that set up, actually. We've not heard a lot about how he's got, like, the scouting network set up, how he has, who, who's, who he's communicating with, who's, like, the guy in charge of scouting now at Spurs, uh, or whether anything's changed at all since Pochettino left. So... Um, what we know, what I've heard from a few different angles and a few, and a couple publicly, is that Spurs are using 
data consultancy. Uh, they do pay for these services of, of database scouting. And we happen to arrive at uh, Ndombele and Lo Celso, who happen to be sort of data darlings. Um, so it, it seems like at least last summer, while Pochettino was still at the club, um, there was a move to analytical-based scouting. Um, and I really, really hope that that uh, continues. But it's possible that those aren't the terms that Mourinho would have agreed to. The thing, the thing that's interesting about that, and that is really good to hear, is that we're, we're using like analytical scouting and data, and yet we're signing the players at peak, peak, peak value, <laughs> or not quite peak value, but not far off, who everyone already knows about. Um, the, the, the next step, I, su- I suspect, and this is where I'd like to see, is us to go a step further and start finding players before they get good, or before they get known. This is something that I used to really believe in, and I I've taken a step back on it in the last sort of eighteen months or so. I I since I got to the stage where I am maintaining my own list of um you know you know special starlets, like half of them work out, and <laughs> that's just the nature of football. That doesn't mean that there was anything wrong with the, with the process applied there. It's just that football is is chaotic and moving teams is chaotic and young people are you know young men are really volatile especially when they're surrounded by wealth and change and and authoritative figures uh, and difficult circumstances i like yes obviously we should be looking at those players and and maintaining our understanding of those players but i think a lot of the time you you have to wait to see how they do at a slightly higher level club, which I think Mm. because of the money that's in the Premier League, I think that once a player's arrived in the Premier League, they're pretty much beyond our reach. But I think if you keep your eye on La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A maybe, and Ligue 1, um, and that's sort of really only, you're looking at 30 to 40 clubs that are in that mid-table region. Um, that's where we want to be sorting most of our talent, which is where, again, yeah, that's where we found Ndombele and Lo Celso. Uh, and you can also say Session if you look at the championship as well. Um, oh, I guess he was Premier League last season, never mind. Um, but uh, yes, yes, we did buy the players that the people on Twitter know and are raving about. But I do think that that is sort of the level that we should be buying at. Like, We've gone for what I believe to me and you are like obvious names, but like Premier League clubs are still out there buying just like yesterday's other Premier League star who did well, but the data doesn't show did especially repeatably well. And, you know, are are forking out hundreds of millions or trying to buy Wilfred Zahar again still like please don't um, underestimate just how poor decisions are being made at high-level football clubs every single day. Um, Like, yeah, Ndombele wasn't, like, out of nowhere, but it was, like, baseline smart, and that is all we can hope for, really. I I really appreciate what what you're saying there, and I, I kind of agree with a lot of sentiment. The bit that I disagree with and that I struggle with is that we are able to do that in, on a consistent basis um, at the moment. And I think like we cannot expect to consistently finish in the top four if that's going to be our, our approach because we're not going to be able to compete with the other clubs who are legitimately able to spend on, on the finished article players. Um, I mean, I know there are sort of some bargains to be had, like Liverpool have just signed 
Minamino for a very low fee, you know, comparative to his ability levels and his record. Um, so that there's definitely some value to be found in the market with like release clauses and things and having the right contacts and, and getting players just before they break out. I don't think Spurs can do that. And, and I feel like, um, <laughs> so so what you said about like, you have to wait and see if a player can cut it at the top level. Like, I, I get that totally, but it kind of, it contradicts it contradicts our own like internal loan policy with with our young players mm. and, and sending them out to to see whether they can do it at the top level before we bring them into the first team like we've we've and i know like we've had a change of management since this has happened but walker peters being a prime example of a player that could really have done with a couple of seasons out on loan to see whether he could cut the mustard so to speak uh that didn't happen we've just kind of toyed with him brought him in dropped him back out brought him in again so like we're either going to do that or we're not i i i, I still feel as though um getting ahead of the game having a, a, a large analytic department who and a large scouting department who are just watching tape and running numbers i feel like that is the way to go at the moment for a club of our current level and like i, I know you're not saying that you disagree with that I know you want that to be happening as well, and then to be monitoring those players and seeing how they got on the next level. I, I don't know if we can afford to do that, and I'm not just thinking about transfer fees, I'm thinking about wages as well. That's true, I think that's fair. I think that there's a compromise in there, though, in that like when you have a gaping hole in your defensive midfield, you have to go for a, like a high-level target, and when you're just like building your squad for the future... Mm. Um, that's when you sort of, well, you know, you buy one foot from Estudantes because yes, yes. eventually you're going to need a replacement centre-back, you know, things at that level. So I, there, uh, there's definitely room for, like, make, taking the risks on young players from obscure leagues and such as that. Uh, but there's also the need to say, OK, we need to have a very high-level performing defensive midfielder tomorrow in order to make the rest of the talent in the squad work. So let's let's prioritise yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, I, I fully agree. I fully agree. I feel like uh, the squad... The, the the squad players can be filled with um the mm. more the more risky players but the first team yeah sure we you know and Dombele was like a, the most obvious signing for Spurs basically yeah. it, I think it, you, it, like we probably want two right backs so you can buy like your maybe Yusuf Atal although I need to actually have a proper think about that and then you can buy sort of a, a Serie B um 19 year old or whatever as well or or the type of player who I think is becoming highly uh underrated now a young English player like Nathan Ferguson at West Brom like we, we, we went through this period for probably 10-15 years of thinking that European talent young European talent who had been promoted early to the first teams in teams in, in Liga and like Nkudu like Nji are like exciting young talents who we should be looking at well actually with the academy output across England is monstrous at the moment there are so many good young English players uh, and so much like untapped talent and Ferguson's one of them I think a big club will get Nathan Ferguson Jude Bellingham is another one at Birmingham who's just going to be an absolute superstar we've seen what happened with Sancho uh, there's so many of these players who are, who are about to break out one of whom is um, Eze at, at QPR and Spurs seem to have been looking at him for about two and a half years I'm wondering whether he's one that we could take take the plunge on. Um, how would you feel about us going back to our previous strategy of signing young from the Championship and League One? Yeah, again, I, I, that comes under the sort of the risk end, and we should definitely be doing that. 
Um, apart from anything else, we want to like keep up. We have to keep up the rate of English or homegrown players in our squads, just just as a as a baseline. As a matter of fact, um, so yeah, that's part of the. If you you split things up into uh, urgent, high level, must have ready to play your players, and then you have the continuous talent scouting underneath. Then then Championship and League One is where you look for them. If we go back to right back specifically, are you familiar with Jaden Bogle? Yes, like him very much. Yeah, me too. You think he might happen? Uh, I don't know about that. Just that he um, is a talented young right back. Catching who... the eye of Premier League clubs. Yeah, there you go. That will be a lovely signing. Yeah, he's very good. Him and Ferguson are both uh, very able players. Um, yeah, like a lot. Yes, would be up for that. Uh, I think the other thing to focus on is that we've got a lot of outgoing transfers to do. Like, oh yeah, oh we, gosh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've our squad has been poorly managed for quite some time, and there's now quite a lot of fixing to do. So Wanyama is the most obvious one. Like the fact that he's still at Spurs, barely playing, is just nuts. That I imagine he must be on fifty, sixty k a week, probably more. Um, and he's he's just doing nothing and picking up his his paycheck, and it's not good for him and it's not good for the club and he, he needs to go in January and I'm sure he will. Uh, but it's not just Wanyama, there's there's others as well. So we've recalled Cameron Carter-Vickers and Anthony Georgiou from loan and Kazai Sterling and I imagine that all three of those players would probably move on permanently within the next two windows. Um, like none of them, in my opinion, are good enough to make it at Spurs, but all of them could do very, very well for like League One or Championship clubs, and that's more profit. And the reason it's more profit is because they've had exposure out on loan. They've had experience. We've we've built them into players with some profile. They've, they're now known in league football. Uh, and I would really be keen for Mourinho to like change the loan uh, policy which Pochettino had and actually send lots of our young players out. I did a thread on Twitter the other day of 10 players ready to go out on loan. Uh, I won't repeat that now because you can just go and read that on, on Twitter. But uh, Who but, is uh, the most in need of a loan? Well, Walker Peters, I would say, uh, if he's not going to play for our first team. But there, there are lots of players. I, I didn't actually include Troy Parrott, but if he's not going to play for us, then I'd love to see him go out on loan and bang a few goals in and kind of come back in the summer ready to join pre-season training and him hit the ground running. He's, what we don't want with Parrott is to let him go stale. We don't want to let him stagnate or we we need to make sure that his up, upward trajectory continues because it is seriously an upward tra- trajectory. He's very good and we want to harness that and make sure it, he, his rise continues. Um, yeah, really keen for Mourinho to send some players out on loan to build to build value in the players that aren't going to make it and to uh, give give the coaching staff and the scouts an opportunity to watch the players who might make it and see whether they might be ready to be integrated next season. Uh, speaking of whom, Jack Rolls is doing a good job out at League 2 Cambridge. He's, he's, he's impressed for them. He hasn't always played. Calderwood likes to play a flat midfield four and Jack Rolls doesn't always fit in, but whenever he's played, he's had an impact, which is really, really good. Uh, George Marsh has also done one at Leighton Orient. He's another player that I don't think will ultimately make it at Spurs, but he's He's pretty much played every game for Leighton Orient. He had a short spell on the sidelines, but he's built some value as well. So more examples there of, of players going out on loan, doing well, and now they're either going to be ready for an opportunity in the first team or they're going to have significant sell-on value. So what we need is package deals, right? Buy Wanyama for £10 million, you get Georgie thrown in three. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like this. It's January, right? The sales are on. Two for the price that's, of one. Let's get it going. 
Well, I wonder if Luke Amos might get offered to QPR for Eze. So Amos has been at QPR. Um, he, he has been injured for some of the season, but he's been doing very, very well for them. He's a defensive midfielder. Um, Eze is an attacking midfielder, so not like for like. But I feel like that could that could be an enticing deal for QPR if they know they're going to eventually lose Eze anyway. Um, yeah, just something to think about. I, I feel like uh, the goalkeeper situation is one that needs to be resolved over the next two windows as well. We don't yet have enough information on Lloris and whether he will be how he was before. No, but even before then, we were beginning to talk about mm. like our long-term goalkeeper future. So, And then, of course, we still have Jan Bertongen and Christian Eriksen with contracts due to expire in the summer. So we kind of need to do something there. Like, Do you think Eriksen will go in January? Uh, I think probably more likely than Vertonghen. That's just the way the rumours are. I just think that, like... Uh, so, obviously, Alderweireld was just keen to play under a new manager, and I do get that, definitely that feeling with Ericsson as well, obviously. Mm. Um, but, like, he's still got quite a few playing years left, and he is capable and um, worth... Um, a significant contract that we can't offer him at Tottenham. Mm, mm. Um, the thing is, a lot of clubs, like those handful of sort of five clubs, aren't don't seem especially switched on to him. And him like putting in middling performances and not being consistently in the first eleven um, might see him sort of a bit stuck for where to go. I guess that just means you end up at Juventus, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always somewhere. There's always somewhere. Like, agents are doing a lot of work to make sure they find a club. I'm sure, and he's so good. He could he could play for most teams. Uh, speaking of Ericsson, we had a question from uh, by Rob Davis, who's a Guardian reporter. He said, did that last corner from Ericsson prove that no, he wasn't being told by Pochettino to play a low percentage near post ball? Perhaps he just genuinely can't beat the first leg. <laughs> I did, I must admit, I did laugh to myself when I watched Ericsson take an awful corner uh, after what we'd said in the previous podcast. What did yeah. you make of that? I literally said to my dad, watch this one, it's going to go to the far post. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, I keep saying like, and I'm really aware of it now because uh, someone commented on the fact that we say like every other <laughs> word, and I'm very self-aware of it. And I apologise if I'm doing if I'm doing it even more. Um, I noticed. I, so the the point we made was that under Mourinho, Ericsson, or players in general seem to be throwing in more percentage balls, just like get it in the mm. mix of tight corners rather than aiming for the near post. Um, on this occasion, Ericsson had run just shy of 12 kilometres in the match. And I think you could make an argument that he was simply knackered and didn't strike the ball with much pace because he was not having that. No, no. You think he tried to play near post? He he played a flat ball at the foreheads of the near post, which is the the classic Ericsson corner that we've seen for the last five years. It was definitely a deliberate where he meant to put it or just about roughly where he meant to put it. So is he just a really uh, bad corner taker? Uh, that I'm not sure of either. It's a case of like, are we going to see if he re- okay? If the next two corners are near post, uh. then <laughs> then like Ericsson needs to stop taking corners. Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it was really weird and confusing and a little bit funny that um, that it looked like aha, you know, he's not a, a, a consistent near. Oh right, no, he is. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, don't I, know. I did. Weird. I did. I did chuckle to myself, and then I chuckled even more when I saw Rob's tweet, which was great. Yeah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So another question from A Calming Presence, who is at the Zenspur. He says, under Mourinho, we have been pretty decent against non-top six, but were shocking against all the top teams we played. Man United are pretty much the opposite. Which of these is a better starting position for creating a team that can win against all types of opposition? I thought that was quite an interesting question. What do you think? It's a really interesting question. It's something I was thinking about quite a lot sort of a year, 18 months ago, when um, Liverpool and City were, for me, clearly the two best teams in the world. And um, doing so with quite different styles. And it was like um, City are the best team in the world against small teams, but they can sometimes fall short sort of in the Champions League quarter semi-finals. And like Liverpool are the best big team team in the, you know, big game team in the world easily, but they sometimes struggle to open up a low block. And for me, it was like, I think City are better positioned to develop a um, <laughs> a high turnover focus medium block game. Um, than Liverpool are to develop a possession system and or or better yet or or absolutely master the art of um artificially starting counterattacks um and it's proven the other way really city have not especially progressed tactically and regressed in terms of results mm. whereas Liverpool have have really worked on their possession game um especially focused on their crossing game obviously and 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 um, scouted one and bought through the academy um, two of the best crossing fullbacks in the world mm, mm. Uh, but not just that but also really worked on how they set up their crossing situations and their movements and their double movements and their tripling up and their and focus that way and they've also absolutely pinnacled the art of of creating counterattacks from teams who don't want to attack um, so it's the opposite of what I would have thought um what is the question? <laughs> no, you're, 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 I think you are answering it. He's saying which is a better starting position for creating a team that can win against all types of opposition. That a team that is good against the top six or a team yeah. that doesn't really care about playing the top. I six. would, I would have, I would have thought, and it still makes more sense to me to say a possession team can learn how to counterattack than yeah. a counterattack team can learn how to play possession. But that isn't how it is has um, turned out in the two most prominent examples in world football. Well, that's how it worked out for us last season. I would that's say that's true. Like we, yes. I've said it again. I've said like again. I need to stop saying like. <laughs> it's uh, fine to. Say Say like, like fucking who who sent that question that that complaint in? You fucking talk for an hour and a half off the top of your head without any kind of like complaining about tips. me saying uh at the start of every sentence. If you didn't play out anything, and if you hadn't noticed me saying that, well, you're gonna notice it now. So enjoy that. <laughs> uh yeah, we're 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 not very professional podcasters, are we, Nave? We are very much amateurish, but um, people don't hopefully don't listen for professionalism because um, they're not going to get much. Uh, like what I was saying was in the league we were possession based we were dominating possession against the majority of teams even sometimes against top four teams in the Champions League we were playing like a little team we were playing small team mentality stuff we were playing counter-attacking we were playing long smack it up to Big Nando and knock it on for Lucas yeah so Pochettino had developed a flexibility there and I think that's the way to go to be able to roll over the smaller teams I say smaller teams it's not right 
it's not the right phrase anymore in the Premier League because none of them are like small, small, small. Um, the, le- the slightly lesser teams where you should be able to beat them and beat a lot of them well and then deal with the top six as like cup final matches, which I think is something that's something that Mourinho is very good at. So as long as he can develop a structure that allows us to roll over the lesser teams, then I'm fine with that. I think that's the way to go. Whether he can do that remains to be seen. He's. I mean, that's the most important question as far as I'm concerned. That's, yeah. that's the big question. And, and that's been your scepticism about him from the very beginning of his appointment. Like, I'm happy to give him loads of time to see whether he can do that it's way too early to start making judgments. He's had the team for less than six weeks. He hasn't signed any players yet. The squad's a mess, as we've been discussing. There are a lot of mitigating factors. And we've already discussed in in part one of this podcast that some of the things he's doing, some of the tactical um, ingenuity he's using is to accommodate the fact that our squad is not there. So the signs are fine at the moment. It's just that he hasn't kind of he hasn't got a philosophy anymore that is attributed to Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> God, um, he he's become a manager who doesn't have a particular way of a particular style of play. I would say mm. no. I I there there isn't like a, he's going to play the Mourinho ball today, but mm. it, it is like he does have strong habits and tendencies. But that that's not the same as like um, Liverpool are going to play like Liverpool every week, regardless sort of thing. It's 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 um, Mourinho really likes to um, shut games down with his medium block, which is what he did against Chelsea, and he likes to um, get uh, manipulate. Um, the score line to create counterattack, the opportunity to play low block and counter as well. And I would also say that he is a manager who tries to create a numerical superiority in particular areas of the pitch where where possible, and he does that through various methods. But I don't necessarily see a style in which he does that. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I haven't thought about this. I'm, I'm doing it. Um, I'm, thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking out loud, basically, and, and that's why it doesn't sound very articulate. Um, I mean, we'll see. We'll see, won't we? What what the philosophy becomes. We'll see what he tries to attempt once he's got his own players, his own team. Once he's had time on the training ground, which is something he's he says he needs a lot of. Um, and then we can give perhaps the Zenspero a more complete answer to that question. Uh, okay, we'll move on. Apocalypto, who is apocalypto underscore doctor on twitter he says spurs have enough offensive firepower to overwhelm opponents late in the norwich match once lamella came on we looked overwhelming we might be vulnerable to the counter-attack but otherwise uh, that should help for defense he's basically saying why don't we just do this as a as our primary tactic why don't we just play all of our attacking players and overwhelm teams like we did against norwich in the second half uh, Apocalypse Doctor is pushing 60 years old and he's absolutely shredded. He lost a ton of weight on a steak orientated diet and he is bulging with muscles. That is my answer to that question. Okay, fair, fair. Uh, my answer is that with the Jose Mourinho team, you're not going to consistently have uh, a heavy offensive lineup. He is a pragmatist and he likes to have literal numbers of defenders on the pitch at any one time and the fact that he's implemented this tactic where we've got a left back hanging back to be in our half majority of the time in my opinion shows that that is not likely to change anytime soon he will want three at the back and probably a a holding midfielder at most points it might be that the the team is in balance in a kind of more offensive way for some matches and less offensive for others and there there might be some kind of match-up thing going on we've said already that he he treats he he has the ability to treat each game like a cup final we've seen that when he's been the opposition manager uh, when we've played his teams uh but i just don't see him playing 
Ozzy Ardiles style attacks. It's just not him. He like he'll always want uh, one winger who will have more of more defensive duties. For example, that's just him. But I, I don't think that will change anytime soon. I think we've seen a lot of like ending games with the like the just throwing attacking players against the wall kind of thing. And, <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I, I... <laughs> <laughs> because we've been chasing games, which is not a good thing, is it? Uh... That's not the way I prefer things to be done. Mm. But mm. if you can consistently score late mm. through those means, that, like if it works, it works. And if you can, if you can, uh, if you can make it work, but also you can demonstrate uh, within the process a repeatability, then okay. yeah, then 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 make you know start with defensive players, um, make the opposition wear themselves out for seventy minutes, and then score late if that if that works. Do it. Like, I I think personally that we've just got too many good players to allow that to become a primary tactic, and I think you you find a structure that works for our good players, and there are enough of them to do better than that personally. Uh, but yeah, sure. But like I don't disagree that there's a viable tactic there somewhere. Um, final question is from Kunal Shah, who says. Our central midfield options appear to consist of Ndombele, Wink, Sissoko, Dyer, Skip and Eriksen. What are the pros and cons of each combination? Now, you started talking about Winks a bit earlier, and it was on the basis that we thought originally that he might work as a as a six, uh, but he probably can't and will now only be played as an eight. So I didn't chip in then because I kind of had something, not prepared, but I had, I had some thoughts for this question. Okay. And they are that I I still feel as though the Winks and Dombali partnership could work in some matches. And those matches will be ones that are going to be like the second half against Norwich, where we have a lot of control of the ball. Because I think Wink, what Winks is really good at, and I've spoken about this before, is backing up counterattacks, recycling the ball quickly, because he's got good technique in terms of getting the ball under control and moving it. Uh, and I think he excels there. What, what Winks is really, really bad at is when we don't have much of the ball and he's having to track runs from midfield yeah he's very 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 bad at that like that is not a skill set of his at all and he looks highly exposed and you see him make stupid decisions like lunging into tackles against brighton where he gets the yellow card and has to be substituted uh that's not winks best games that we can control and that we expect to control i think winks would actually be a really good partner for ndombele equally games where we're not going to have much control sissoko could be a good partner for ndombele because he will he's so good at joining the attack uh, from deep that he helps us overwhelm teams numerically and I think that can work as a tactic I think it's it's less likely to be a, a Mourinho strategy because he's already said that he doesn't see Tissoko as a central midfielder I, but I think it could work so I'm not saying like it has to be in Dombali and a new DM and there's no more winks to Sissoko I think they all have they all have a purpose in certain games. The problem is, and this has been something we've said over and over again, their skill sets are so niche and they definitely can't play together. They are not rounded footballers like Tonga Ndombele, who's just a very competent, capable player who can do a number of things well. And that's why they're not you know, being signed for 63 million by Tottenham Hotspur. What do you think, Nathan? Someone asked me earlier today... Um... If I thought we would see or we should see more and Dombele as a six, and I I shut it down at the time, but I'm thinking about it now, and I do wonder if if that is the way that Mourinho wants to use him at least for the time being. Um, and I think if if Ndombele is your deepest player, then you would pick Sissoko to partner him to be the to be the runner and presser. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't completely. I I I don't think that is optimal use of Ndombele specifically, mm. but I do wonder if that poses us an interesting um 
an interesting combination at the moment. We have seen that midfield played out once before, I think, or, or uh, started once before, but seen a couple of times. Um, uh, but my choice would be Dyer and Ndombele. That, to me, just is the balance of our best progressor from deep and press resistor with our only actual real full-on defensive midfielder and the con of that midfield is that they started in a 3-0 loss to Brian that was absolutely appalling they did but that was very early days in Dyer's route back from yes his appendicitis and Ndombele was looking very unfit at that point as well and lost like his positioning was bizarre I that for me is one of the biggest like mysteries i want like a, a documentary on why was Ndombele stood where he was stood the entire game for that match mm-hmm. i mean that was just they totally give it up on the the manager at that point i think that's true that's true so i think what we're saying is that yeah i mean i i agree with you by the way that dyron and Ndombele is the the partnership that i would pick the most often for sure for sure but there's going to be some rotation there needs to be some rotation it's, yeah. it's illogical not to rotate um and, and you never know we might even sign we might even sign a midfielder in, in january it's possible <laughs> uh, i think a lot of what you just said also depends on whether ericsson stays for the rest of the season because if he does then that makes ericsson and Dombele uh, potentially viable especially if you throw the celso in there that's potentially viable midfield like we saw against norwich um i would prefer it if Ndombele was freed up alongside Dyer to do his thing because he's way too good a player to be um, shackled yeah. by defensive duties even though I think he could do some of them um, but yeah I mean it, the situation is not ideal let's put it that way that we've got players like Winks like Sissoko like Dyer who have very niche skill sets they're very good at like one or two things and very not good at others what what have you made of uh, the use of Sissoko so far? By the way, Dave, because we've not we've not spoken about this since Mourinho said very clearly that he doesn't see Sissoko <laughs> as a midfielder. He sees him playing on the right. Yeah, yeah. Is it simply and, that and... he's got no other options? Mm. Uh, well, uh, yeah. I, I it, he started out under Mourinho playing as a winger, and and I and I I'd called that. I said, well, Sissoko is a defensive winger now, and I, I was immediately vindicated by that. And then he moved him back into midfield. The, immediately after saying Sissoko is not a midfielder, I don't know. It's it's and it's something that we've seen with a couple of other comments from Mourinho is that he arrives at the club, says I'm very happy with the squad. The squad is good. I don't need to spend any money. Also, Sissoko is not a midfielder, and I'm going <laughs> to start him in midfield. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so weird. It's so weird. It's I, comedy. Like I really want to see Sissoko play on the right for a bit. Um, not just because I, it means he's not playing in midfield, but also because I'm not Lucas's biggest fan. And I think Sissoko could do a really good job there and also help protect Aurier uh, without having to do that from central midfield. So I was really excited when I saw Mourinho's comments and then less <laughs> excited when I saw him kind of go back on it. But he's, he's had a lot of injuries and suspensions to deal with since then. So we'll see. We'll see. Check this out, right? And Dombele is the six. Uh, Sissoko to his right and Ericsson to his left. There we go. There we go. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davey Shambles and his SoundCloud, D. Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.